So welcome to New Hope Community Church, whether you're live, lots of live people, and live streams. Great to have everybody here worshiping with us. Uh, just real quickly, the baptism coming up August 13th. Lots of people still talking about it, wrestling with it, thinking about it, praying about it. So let me know if you are interested. I've got the information. We'll keep start that process. Uh, even if you just want to talk about it, it's awesome. So I will all be meeting that day at the island at 10 o'clock at Lewis Island, and we'll give all the details as we get closer. Lots of details are going to be in the bulletin and all, okay? So also Trenton Thunder, you already heard about signing up for that. In Peru, we're, six, we're at $1,600. Our goal is 5000 That's going to get a whole big group of pastors their study Bibles. We take it for granted. We have Bibles coming out of our eardrums, right? But they, they don't. They don't have this. This will be their preaching Bible. This is all they're going to have to do ministry with. So that's why we're uh, doing this is to get these guys, uh, 125 guys, their own study Bibles, and that's their ministry tool. So that's coming up. And then prayer for life is this Friday, and all the details are in the bulletin. I will not be able to be there, but Terry Noble will be there, and they always plan on going out for lunch. Anybody who can hang out longer can go out to lunch with them after, but a, a real powerful time of prayer for life, okay? So kids already think, I think the kids already escaped. We're going to be celebrating communion, as you can see, this morning. And if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter Three, Romans chapter 3. If you grabbed one of these on the way in, it's page 938. Otherwise, you've got to look it up yourself in your own Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we'll have the verses up behind me so you can follow along with the verses here, okay? So the title today is Bad News, Good News. Bad news, good news. Romans 3, 10 to 20. You, we've all heard of the good news, bad news, right? And that's when you say something positive, but there's some hidden negative coming along very quickly after that. You know, the good news is, the bad news is, you know, you've all heard that. Uh, I remember years ago, I saved this from a doctor's, uh, doctor's good news, bad news here. It says here, what, when the doctor says it could be one of several things, what they mean is, I have the foggiest idea what's wrong with you. When they say, are you sure you haven't had this before? It means because you've got it again. I'd like to run that test again. The lab lost your blood sample. Insurance should cover most of this. You'll have to sell your house to cover the rest. (laughs) Why don't you go over your symptoms with me one more time? I can't remember who you are. (laughs) One more. There's a lot of this going around. And we'll give it a name as soon as we figure out what it is. So, you know, the, the good news, bad news. Uh, you know, the common, you know, the common question you often hear, do you want the good news or the bad news first? What do you want first? What do you prefer? Good news or bad news first? I remember um, on the farm having to use this very technique. And some of you have been along long enough have heard this story before. But uh, I had to use this very technique to survive on the farm. I was out uh, chopping hay. I was driving the tractor. And with the tractor, I'm on this big tractor. And i am got the hay chopper behind me. And it's picking up the hay, chopping it, and throwing it into the wagon behind. And I, it usually took like a one. We had this really long field. It's still there. And it, it was like the but maybe, I don't know, maybe a half a mile long. And I remember driving down to the one end, and by the time you got back to the other end, it would be full. And my dad would come down and switch wagons with me, and he'd take that up and load it into the, the uh, 
silo and then um, or the trench uh, trench silo either one of them you put it in and then I would load up the next one and the key on chopping hay or any using any high powered machinery is pay attention yeah you got to pay attention keep your eyes open pay attention so you're you're supposed to sit on the tractor kind of sideways and and you're sitting there and you're watching the hay and you're watching it pick up the hay and then you're watching it shoot into the wagon make sure everything's going well that's okay for the first wagon or two but then i'd start to get distracted you know uh deep in meditation my parents call it daydreaming but i I, deep in meditation deep thought deep thought and i'm just sitting there you know doing the wagon and and i remember the one time i was like boy it's getting kind of heavy you know i'm this wagon's filling up faster than usual and i'm keep going and and it's like really paul and if i said i better look and i look back and the wagon's like this you know kind of tilted i'm like what and the, and i'm almost to the end this was i was just finishing the wagon i was at the end and i get off i look and one of the wagon wheels had fallen off Hold off. That's like losing a car tire, by the way. You know, it's a big deal on a wagon, right? And I, I was so deep in my meditation, probably doing my Bible verses or something, I didn't even th- th- realize that. And, and so I, I looked back, and not only did it fall off, but it had fallen off at the other end of the field. So I was like, i got to go get that wheel and bring it up so my dad doesn't notice that I lost the wheel way back there. So I went running all the way there, got the wheel, and I'm rolling it up, you know, all the way to the wagon, you know. And, and I see him coming. I see my dad coming with the empty wagon. And I'm like, i got to get it quick. And as I'm running up, I'm noticing there's a big, deep trench dug into the field all the way up because the wagon was full, and it was digging a whole deep trench. So I'm like... I can't tell if it just fell off because he could see the trench, you know, it was dug in, you know, from the axle of the, of the wagon. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I, my dad had a temper at times. So I go, like, I got to figure this out, you know, before he gets here. So I, I had to come up with that good news thing, right? And he pulls up and it hit me just as he come jumping off the tractor, came running up, looking at everything. What are you, what did you, what did Chucky do now, right? And I'm like, and I'm like, I go, well, dad, remember you told me you were going to plow this field up and put it into corn? I just thought I'd get a head start for you. I start plowing it now for you. <laughs> he didn't hit me. You know, he, he, it was just enough of a funny thing to, you know, deep, you know, uh, you know, help me survive that event. He's he like, give me a tire, you know. And so we, you know, it was a, created a big trouble. But that was the good news, bad news. Uh, we're going to see Paul. We're going to see Paul start with bad news first today, and then we're going to hit the good news at the end before we hit the communion, and then next week we're going to focus on the good news because it's so much deep stuff, I couldn't do them both. It's really a powerful passage at the end here. So we're going to see him start with the bad news, then we're going to hit some good news. The bad news, good news. Now, we've already seen lots of bad news in the book of Romans, okay? Book of Romans, lots of bad news. In Romans 1, we saw that the Gentile world, that's most of us Gentiles, uh, are, is, is becoming progressively depraved and under God's judgment. Hard to even read it, especially seeing what's happening in our country. Then we saw in Romans chapter 2 that the, the Jews are also just as bad as the Gentiles. These self-righteous Jews that Paul was talking to, and he was one of them at one point, were breaking God's law too. They're in the same boat as the Gentiles. And then we're going to see it get even worse here in Romans 3 that everyone is lost. There is no hope 
until we hit the very end for communion, and then we have great news, lots of great news. And, and then next week we're going to hammer the good, great news. Don't miss next week. Lots of great doctrine uh, of what Christ accomplished on the cross, just as we were singing this morning, some great, great doctrines that are just have powerful implications for our daily life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you that in spite of all the bad news that we have, good news that we can hang on to, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that if anybody here has never taken hold of that great news, they've never put their faith in Jesus, that today would be that day. And I pray that all of us, as we get ready for this communion, okay, so first the bad news. Uh, I'm going to read it over here, I think, just in case there's difference. Uh, Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you feel like you just read the morning news or watched the news? I mean, really, it's crazy, right? Uh, There is no one righteous. You catch that? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one, not even you, not even me. No one righteous. No one who is good. Paul weaves all these verses that we just read are from the Old Testament. And he weaves them all together through the leading of the Holy Spirit. He weaves them all together to make this point. The Holy Spirit's driving this home. Now, I think, <clears throat> I think after Romans 1 and the four steps to depravity with the world and the country and our own lives, I think we're pretty convinced of this already, right? We don't need a lot of convincing. I'm not going to dwell on this part of it. It's it's pretty it's pretty been pretty well uh, you know proven from this. But if you weren't here for Romans one, the four steps to depravity, make sure you go back and watch them and, and listen to them. But just in case you don't you haven't watched that yet, or just in case you don't follow the daily news, uh, you don't dig into the real news. I should say you don't dig into the real news. Uh, you, I'm just one more thing I just saw this week that kind of drove this home. Very thing scientists successfully create synthetic human fetus. The synthetic fetus is not likely to be used in the near future because of the ethical and moral issues associated with it. Scientists created this synthetic human fetus using stem cells in a groundbreaking step that circumvents the need for an egg or a sperm. But they're not going to use it for anything. Uh, you know, be, uh, you know, no, they would never do that, right? Guess why they made it? Guess what they're going to be using it for? The same thing they use natural babies now, unborn babies for. The same exact thing for their evil experiment. It's Nazi Germany all over again. We've talked about that many, many times. But if you didn't just needed any this Romans 3, 10 to 18 driven home any more than after what we did in Romans 1, I just thought I'd give you a little bit more here. Now, Romans 3... Romans 3, 10 to 18 is reinforcing Romans 1 through 2, that all are bad, that all are wicked, that Gentiles and Jews, everyone has been separated from God by sin, and we all deserve 
hell. All deserve hell. Every one of us. I'm at the top of the list. We deserve hell. So many people think, well, I'm pretty good. God will let me into heaven. A lot of us thought that before we found Christ and understood exactly who we were and what we needed, right? We all thought that way. Chuck Harrison, as I taught you many times out in the streets, he talked, he has the heaven test. Are you going to heaven? And what does everybody think? I saw, where are you, Chuck? Uh, everybody thinks I'm going, right? They, every, everybody thinks God's going to let me into heaven. Everybody thinks they're good enough. But Paul destroys that delusion here, and he's going to demolish it in Romans 3.23. I'll read it now. We're going to hit it a little bit later, and then next week I'm going to really hit it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. You, you, you see, most of us, <clears throat> the reason we think we're going to heaven before we find Christ and really know we're going to heaven, but the reason we think is because we compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm no worse than the average person. You know, I, I'm just like, I'm no worse. And so, you know, God, based on that curve, you know, remember the curve, grading curve? I'll get into heaven, you know, because I'm like no worse than most people, but God's standard is a whole different thing. His standard is his holy self, his holy self. We must be completely sinless just like he is. God is so holy. He is so perfect. You know, everybody thinks, oh, God is love. God is love. Yeah, God is love. Don't get me wrong. But it's, he's first holy. In the Bible, the very first attribute to describe God is holiness, perfection. In holiness, and and he cannot let even one sinful person into his presence. He can't let even a person in with one sin on them into his presence. That would be completely abhorrent to God because he is so holy for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. And most of us have more than one sin on us, don't we? <laughs> I do better than that. I get a lot more than that before breakfast, right? Yeah, we we've all done much more. We've all fallen way below perfection before God's glory. All of us. And the problem is we use the wrong measure for good. We measure ourselves against other human beings, right? That's our measurement. But we think, we think, <clears throat> we think getting into heaven is like playing golf. I was trying to think of an illustration. Like playing golf. Uh, we just need to make par. Right. If I could just make par, I'm going to get in because par gets in. Right. But par is not good enough. And and by the way, most of us can't hit par, whether it's golf or in life. Right. We can't in life or in, in golf. Most of us aren't at par. But but it, it's in the game of life. We definitely can't do it. We we fall. We we fall on. We fall above bar. I can't not under. We fall above bar. But we can't even do that. But. Even under par is not good enough in God's sight, in the game of life. What would we have to do in golf to get into heaven? Not just a hole in one, but 18 holes in one. Day after day, tournament after tournament, game after game, right? 
We, we have to hit hole-in-one every time, and no one does that, whether it's real golf or whether it's the game of life. There, we, we don't do that. There's no one righteous. There is no one who does good, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is getting easier. This used, I remember back, back when, you know, early in my ministry, it was harder to convince people of this because, you know, everybody, everybody thought you're good, and the country was kind of good. We kind of were a moral nation. But it's getting easier and easier to convince people of this today, right? In the USA today, just read the news. You know, look what happened yesterday in Maryland. Crazy, crazy stuff. This describes all of us. And now people are starting to understand this a little better. It's, easier, it's an easier sell now. The, the, this describes all of us before we were saved, before we were sanctified, before we had salvation or sanctification. This describes all of us. This is exactly who we are. Uh, some of you might remember post-World War II. I remember reading about this and, and following this story. This was later after it had happened. But um, it was the trial of Adolf Eichmann. Anybody remember the trial of Adolf Eichmann? Yes, some of you remember. Uh, wild, right? And now, he was in charge of death camps for the Holocaust. Wicked, wicked, horrible man. Uh, he, he, he was finally kidnapped by the Israeli special teams from, um, where was he again? South America. Argentina, thank you. He was in Argentina. They, ca- they, they kidnapped him. They brought him back for trial. They brought witnesses to look at him during this trial. Remember, they had the glass set up. If you've watched the videos or seen the pictures or read the story, they had glass set up. So they, he was so evil, he was behind the glass, you know. And, and, and one guy really freaked out. They'd bring the witness in. They'd see him. They'd give their testimony. But the one guy who came to see Adolf Eichmann and at the trial and speak... He, do you remember he, he was, he just collapsed, just uncontrollable weeping and crying. He freaked out. This one guy really, really freaked out. And I'll never forget, remember who interviewed him? Remember, uh, anybody remember? Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace interviews the guy. And, and he, and he said to him afterward, he said to him later, why were you so upset? Was it the, the, the memories? The flashbacks? Seeing such an evil man up close like that, what, what was it? And the, 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 the man said, no, I saw an ordinary man. And I realized that sin and evil are the human condition. I realized that I was capable of the same thing. It could have been me. Powerful. Powerful. He said, I freaked out in the Eichmann. I went crazy. I was traumatized by the Eichmann in all of us. There's no unrighteous, not even one. In God's sight, we are all Eichmann. Every one of us is Eichmann. Paul doesn't stop there. He's got some even bad, more bad news for us. And that is we can't do anything about it. We can't work our way out of this problem that we're in. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, he says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. Now here we go. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by, a, by the works of the law, 
Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You follow that? No one's going to be declared righteous by by observing the law, by following the law. We can't. We only can become conscious of sin. The law cannot save us. It was never meant to save us. It was never given. See, people say, well, God gave the Jews the law so they could be, be saved. No, they were saved by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. It was never about the law. The law was never given to, <clears throat> to, to save us. The purpose of the law was to show us our sinful condition and to show us our need of the blood sacrifice of the lamb, which was also part of the law. They were given the law, and then they were told they had to sacrifice the lamb, and, and that blood of the lamb was going to save them by putting their faith in the sacrifice, which was pointing to Jesus Christ. The law was to show us we need Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. We are completely sinful. That was the purpose of the law, which Paul just pointed out. We cannot do anything about our condition. We, we can't <clears throat> work our way to good. We can't work our way to God. We cannot work our, you know, do the, to good or to God. We can't do it. We can't be good enough. And following the law cannot save us. It's impossible. The law only makes us more conscious of how bad we really are. The law was to show us that we're stuck and we can't do anything about it. That was the purpose of the law. We're completely stuck. Have you ever been really stuck? Freaked out stuck? I remember when I was in uh, California, I did a, an internship at the end of my college with... Um, at this Christian camp, and it was social work and sociology and Christian camp, and and uh, I worked with <clears throat> really I've, you've heard my some of my stories before. They were they were called they called them emotionally disturbed delinquents. They these kids were just the the guys who ran the place said we're just holding them here till they go to prison someday. It was brutal, brutal. These kids, what they've been through and what they were creating. And, but I would, I had came up with a plan. It was hard to control them. So I would take them on these hikes, these long hikes up into the, the mountains around uh, the, the foothills of Ramona, which is the San Diego area up in the foothills. I'd take them on these long hikes, just wear them out, wear them out. You heard the snake story and then this rattlesnake story, all this crazy stuff. <clears throat> but, but I'll never forget, I had this one place I liked to take them because it was where I went to pray because I was going, losing my mind at this place. And, and I would go to pray and it was this giant rock, huge rock. It was overseeing a cliff and it was overseeing this beautiful valley, uh, really rugged valley. And it was this giant rock and it had a crack down the middle. It looked like, like lightning had hit it and just broke an egg, you know, but it was just cracked just about like this. And, 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 uh, I, I would, I would once in a while, I would always go up there to pray, but once in a while I'd climb down into the crack and just kind of see what it looked like, but I would never try to go through it. It was just too narrow. And, and, but I'd go back up on top and that's where I would pray. And I'd bring the boys here and it was just beautiful. I said, now guys, don't get near the edge. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't have probably even taken them there, but they, they, uh, <clears throat> but one time I had them all up on top of this rock. We had this long hike. I was saying, this is beautiful. And I heard one of the kids say, help me. And one of those turkeys, and they were doing this all the time, something, and he, he had, tried to crawl, walk through the crack in the rock, and he got stuck, stuck in this rock, and he was stuck. 
He couldn't go this way or that. I couldn't get him out either. He was stuck and he's crying. He's freaking out. He's bleeding. He's all scraped up. And I'm like, I'm like, help me, help me, God, get this kid out of here. This is going to look good on my, you know, my my grade for my internship. You know, didn't bring one of the kids home. He's stuck in a rock somewhere. You know, and this was way out, of, you know, miles out of into nowhere. And he's crying. All the kids are like, give me, you know, scream. They're all standing up top yelling now, do this, do that. You know, I'm like, stop it. You know, and if, I don't know how I got him out. He, you know, I said, suck in your stomach. You know, and I kept pulling and pulling arms and legs. And somehow I got him out. He's bleeding everywhere. You know, you know, it was crazy. I got him out, but it was scary. He was stuck. And that's what we are spiritually. Every one of us has been completely stuck by sin and the law can't can't save us and we are completely stuck but i have great news for you july 4th couple days from now great news for you july 4th week this what i'm going to read to you next is the christian declaration of independence our declaration of freedom this is it no matter how trapped you are today by sin by satan by the world by shame no matter how trapped you are no matter how trapped you were at one time we we can all be set free and not only can be set free but we can live free we can live free but we can't free ourselves we've established that we cannot free ourselves but the good news is that god can and jesus christ did he did here we go. I'm just going to read this today. We're going to preach through it next week. Don't miss because there's so much packed in here. I, I was going to try to do, but I just couldn't. But so much packed in here. But I'm just going to read it, preach it next week. This is the amazing results. Romans 3.21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are just all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Powerful, powerful, powerful passage. If you don't have that memorized, memorize it. I'm telling you, it's powerful. It's, it's the Christian declaration of independence. Uh, the bottom line is that Jesus took our place. The bottom line. Next week, we're going to see the sacrifice of atonement. We're going to see redemption. We're going to see justification. We're going to see it all. It's powerful implications for our life. But the bottom line from what I just read to you is that is that Jesus Christ took our place. We were stuck in that rock going to die. We were stuck facing eternity in hell. Jesus took our place on that cross. He was sacrificed in our place. He died on the cross on purpose, voluntarily, took our place, redemption, took our place to, to set us free. That's what he did. That is the bottom line. That's what communion is all about. Uh, some of you have been around long enough, know, have heard my lamb story before. I grew up on a, a dairy farm, cow farm, moo, right? But I always wanted a lamb. I always wanted a lamb. You know, God getting me ready, right? Dealing with sheep. But anyway, uh, the, uh, <laughs> we all like sheep have gone astray, right? We're all sheep, you know? That's what we are. 
There's no accident that God picked the sheep, let me tell you. Uh, I wanted a lamb. Loved lamb. Finally, I think, I think I was about eight years old. I finally bugged my parents into letting me get a lamb. I might even been for my birthday. I was just so excited. I bugged them, bugged them, got my lamb. My, my mom took me to the sheep farm, and here were the lamb, and I picked one out, brought it home, so excited. I was happy, happy, happy. I got the milk bottle with the, the, the soda bottle, Coke bottle probably, with, with filled up with milk, put the little nipple on top, and fat at. Oh, they were, they were so cute. Baby lamb is just so cute, so cute. I was sky high. I'll never forget <clears throat> that night. I, I had to leave him. I was patting him, holding him, all that. I had to leave him. My mom tied him up with the other calves. All the cow, calves are there, so she tied him up with the calves. And I said, good night. I'll see you in the morning. Went in the house. Could hardly sleep. Get up the next morning. I was so excited. Went running down the stairs. Going to go see my lamb. My mom met me on the steps. I'll never forget it. She said, Chucky. I got sad news for you. Your lamb died last night. You see, sheep aren't like cows. We didn't know it was our first one. You tie a calf up and he stands there. But if you tie a lamb up with a rope, they panic. And it started to twist and try to get loose and twist and try to get loose. And he hung himself. My little lamb. I was inconsolable. My mom said, get in the car. We drove back to the sheep farm. She told the farmer what we did. and She's like, yeah, you can't tie a sheep up. He took me over to the pen and said, pick out another one. In the pen they took me to, this time they all had these red stripes down their back. Because they were marked for slaughter. This was a slaughter pen. And I saw one, he came running right up to me. I hugged him, took him home. Here's that big red stripe on his back. And named him Sam. The ram lamb. Sam the ram lamb. And he lived on our farm many years, and I have lots of other adventures <laughs> with him. Good ministry training, taking care of a lamb. And, but the only reason Sam lived was because the first lamb died. He died really for him in his place. He only survived the mark, the slaughter pen, because the first lamb died. And that's exactly what Romans is talking about. We forget that. We talk about the cross. And 
Jesus dying on the cross, and we sing about it, and it, we don't even means almost nothing to us anymore because we forget that he died on that cross with the weight of all of our sin upon him, separated from his father. Brutal. So that we could live. So that we could be forgiven. That's what Jesus has done for us. We can only be saved by faith in our Lamb, Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22 the right, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace of through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. We're going to have fun with that one next week. Powerful. We, Jesus died for us, but we have to put our faith in him. We have to get, we have to put our trust in him. We have to give our life to him. The word faith means to completely put your trust in something. And that's what we have to do for G, with Jesus. He died for us, but it's wasted if we don't, if we won't leave that pen. If we won't leave the big pen, the sin and the garbage in the world. If we won't leave it and come to Jesus, it's wasted. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The most important question you will ever hear. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? And that is a question that you will remember throughout all of eternity. Either in heaven with Jesus or separated from eternity in hell from Jesus. That is the question that every human being must consider. There's nothing more important than that question. And I ask everybody this question all the time when I, when I want to get someone talking about spiritual things, and a lot of you have heard me ask this question personally, I say, if you were to die and stand before God, and we're all going to do that, if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? We're all going to stand before Jesus someday. And most people will say something they've done. I go to church, I got baptized, I got confirmed, I give money, I try to be good, I, you go down the list, I never killed anybody, I, but there's only one answer that opens heaven to us, that opens eternity with Jesus Christ, and that is I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. That's it. Has there been a time in your life where you say, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I repent of it. Repentance is part of faith. There's no separating faith from repentance. They're they're interconnected in the Bible. Has there ever been a time where you say, God, I don't want to sin anymore, the garbage anymore, my rebellion anymore, the shame anymore. I repent. Repent means to turn and walk the other way. I repent. I'm going to follow Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. Have you taken that step of faith? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you put your faith in Jesus? We're going to pray in just a minute. You're going to do it. I hope you do it. But Christians, do we understand that love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do we understand that love? Do we appreciate that love? Are we remembering that? That's what communion is all about, remembering what Jesus did for us. Do we appreciate it? That that lamb died for us. That should be our whole motivation to live the Christian life. Our our whole motivation is God's holiness. God's holiness, I must live holy. And, And God's incredible sacrifice, his love for us. That should be our whole motivation, is our love, God's love for us and our love for him. And wanting to be like him. And that's what communion is all about. Remembering. Reminding us all what it's about. Remembering God's love. Remembering what Jesus has done for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is communion. I'm going to read it there, I think. For I received, Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judging this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. What it is, the, the bread represents the body of Christ. The cup represents the blood of Christ. Where we're doing, we eat this and drink this in remembrance of his body and his blood. Uh, we, we do this to, to refocus. We do it to time to repent of sin and get rid of whatever in our life is, is, is coming between our relationship, breaking our communion, our fellowship with him. Uh, we, we do it to, uh, re, to, to reignite our, our love and because we're recognizing his love, what he did for us, uh, the lamb that died in our place so that we could live now and forever. Why we shouldn't do it, he said very clearly, if there's something in our life that's sin, don't take the Lord's Supper. But even better is repent of it. This is the time to do it, to say, God, you can have it. It might still be a struggle, but we're we're surrendering it. And we're saying, God, help me to get back in this fight, to fight this battle. I surrender this to you. I hope everybody does take communion because everybody can, but that's between you and God. Nobody watches, nobody keeps track. It's between you and God. In just a few moments, we'll, we'll, Todd will lead us into some worship and prayer. You can come forward and, and take it, and whenever you're ready, you just take it back in your seat, and you take it with by yourself or with someone, whatever you want. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Let me pray first, though. So. 
how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe here today and you can't commune with God yet because you've never put your faith in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is pulling, speaking, convicting, leading you to take that step of faith today. Right where you are, sitting here, in your car, wherever you are, you can, the, the, the prayer of faith, the, the, the faith in our heart is what saves us. But I always encourage people to say a prayer of faith to, to confirm it, to put an exclamation point on it. But it's all about the faith. The simple prayer of faith. God, I, I repent of my sin. Anything in my life that goes against your word or your will for me, I repent. Forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. The Lamb of God. Your one and only Son. Who died for me to pay my pay for my sin? Who rose from the dead to give me brand new life? I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith and something amazing has happened. Next week we're going to hit it hard, but you've been washed clean. That red stripe that marks you for slaughter. has been washed away by the red blood of Jesus Christ. And you now have the power through the Holy Spirit to live a new life should you choose to. I want to encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer of faith, to tell somebody today. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Be here with a family member or a friend. Tell somebody. You have a Christian friend been praying for you, talking to you. Tell somebody today because we'll be excited for you and can encourage you. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about sanctification? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live in that power if we choose to. It's a daily decision to live by faith or not to. Father, I pray that whatever is breaking our communion or fellowship, that we would come to this table. 
and renew our love and renew our close fellowship with your son Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.